Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And welcome back to Meeting of the Minds. Today I'm here with the great Mike Amin. Mike, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Great to be with uh, both of you guys. I've been following you, uh, you and your brother there for uh, quite some time, and you guys are doing some great things, and uh, really a shout off, and I'm honored to, uh, to have a conversation with you today. Thank you. Absolutely. We're honored to have you also. We were just talking about, we started getting into it even before we kicked in with the interview, but about, you were saying that success successful people there's a common denominator behind all of them talk a little bit about that and then we'll get into your story your journey yeah so you know you you, you hear the greats like john wooden and these are all non-wrestling of course and uh, i got to start with them but the, the whole uh, idea of of what you know um both john wooden and some of the ways that he approached the game of basketball and the, and, and really the way he approached life uh, very similar to, you know, a short, short life of Vince Lombardi and his greatness with the Green Bay Packers. But, you know, I, I started reading a few of their books way back when it wasn't, uh, you know, necessary, I guess is the best way. But back in the early 90s, when I was just starting to start starting off my career and, and pretty much closing the uh, chapter of my wrestling life, um, I started getting inspired by these great coaches and these great leaders. And, uh, you know, um, one right after the other, you know, the common denominator of success was somewhat uniform in the way that they approached uh, the game, but they're also the game of life. And uh, I took that with me because uh, I, I think to be inspired by some of the great leaders is, is necessary in order for you to obtain your goals and your dreams. And it all really starts with the thoughts and, you know, what you think about, as I always tell people, what you think about every day and what you wake up to is what you eventually become. So unfortunately, if you think you're a loser, you're going to end up a loser. But if you think you're a winner, yes, you're going to have some challenges and obstacles along the way, but the right mindset, you know, you can move mountains with it. And uh, these guys were really the foundation of great coaches and great leaders. Those guys could have probably led any fortune 500 company to greatness. And uh, so I was inspired by, by, by those, by both of those coaches. And then along the way, um, as I was transitioning into a more defined leadership role, I, uh, I ended up reading the book, Good to Great, and it changed my way 
and changed my approach to, and the, the simplicity of it all and how only a few, there was only a few, you know, great leaders out there, despite what you heard about some of these companies, once the leaders stepped away, you know, the companies kind of fell apart and the great leadership to be a level five leader, you need to kind of make sure that um, your approach was adoptable and that good leaders and great leaders and great coaches create other great leaders and other great coaches. So the, the self, the, to be you know, uh, selfless and to be able to you know, use and give everything you have uh, and, and we'll get to the wrestling part and how you can you know, use that type of approach to kind of create greatness within your high school program or your college program. Um, and, you know, to me, that to be that level five leader has been something that I've always aspired to kind of be, to say, hey, if I get hit by, by, if I hit, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, then no matter what, this organization must live on and, uh, and, and, and sometimes better than what I, where I left it. And uh, that's the importance of that, that level five leadership. So, you know, it just goes without saying that the, just all the things that, um, you know, great athletes and and great professionals and great leaders, there's, there's such a common denominator. It's just a different approach to get there from time to time. But the, but the idea of, 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 of hard work, perseverance, and having you know, clearly defined goals with the right type of attitude and mindset, it's gonna take you a long way. Oh yeah, those two leaders you brought up, the John Wooden and Vince Lombardi, I don't know if you remember it, uh, the turn of the century, they did Sports Century for ESPN. They named them the number one and number two coaches of the 20th century. And I think Dan Gable was top 10 on the list also. Yeah. And, and we'll get to Dan Gable because he's another, you know, um, phenomenal leader. And, and again, some of the things that he accomplished in the sport of wrestling, as I always say that very few coaches, no matter what sport they coach, were able to do what he was able to do uh, at Iowa. And, uh, um, and, he, and he still continues to inspire people. And it uh, looks like you talk about a devotion uh, um, to, to wrestling. Uh, it's, it's, it's Dan Gable. He absolutely depicts that. And uh, he's another guy that you really want to look up to and, and watch what he does. Not always as he says, well, listen to what he says, but watch what he does and, and the way he approached, uh, you know, his, his mindset and the way he approached his wrestlers and hundred percent belief in anybody he recruited. And even as I re recall of uh, being fortunate enough to have wrestled against him my senior year and, and, and bringing down Iowa after 17 years, <laughs> Um, that was a team effort, but uh, I got to know him a little bit, and, and I actually had a few uh, beers with him not too long ago at the um, one of our coaches, Dale Barr, got inducted to the Hall of Fame, and, and Dan was there and had a few beers and kind of picked his brain. Unbelievable, what just his, the way he approached, you know, wrestling, and, and, and I asked him just a real quick, uh, you know, what was his secret to, like, recruiting and, and, and that sort of thing. He said, you know, he wanted to hear – um, you know, the, the guys he was recruiting, they want to win a national championship their freshman year. That was that, you know, the, 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 the importance of having a real high goal early was really important and uh, that they were willing to sacrifice and do everything they could to get to that national championship. And that was kind of the mindset and belief they had at Iowa uh, back when they were the, the power, their powerhouse today under the brands. But then again, what did Gable do? He, he created, recreated level five, you know, leaders. And you can see the the Brands Brothers are doing a great job now, so. Absolutely, absolutely. Then I think about good to great. Didn't that include the story of Frank Becker, the baseball player? Was that chapter yeah. where he was? He became like kind of like a Mr. Hustle, almost like a Pete Rose, just always just just acting the way he wanted to be, right? Correct. It on. That's because you could control your actions. You can't necessarily control the random thoughts that come in your head. Correct. Of course, we do mindset training, but you have to sure. act the part. Yep. Yeah. 
you, you, you really do. And, and the importance of, you know, you're taking your, you know, it all begins with the, uh, the mindset, right? And, and if you can conceive it, you can, you can believe it. So you got to conceive, to believe, to achieve. But the achieve part is what's most difficult. Everybody wants to be a champion. Nobody wants to work for it, right? Everybody wants to um, uh, be Michael Jordan. Nobody wants to practice like him. And, he, and, you know, obviously, he's another just a phenom of what the way he approached hit the game of basketball. You know, it wasn't just talent. It, there was so much more to it than just the talent. And the things that he was able to do on the court was because of his work ethic and because of what he did to rally the, the team and, and, and win those championships. So there's just so much to learn from other sports and other great leaders. And that's kind of the way I've approached it. I, I've been very fortunate and, and I will call that in some cases lucky, but um, you know, we, we prepared a, 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 for a little bit of that luck and, and the rest of it, you know, obviously you leave the, the chance and goodwill, but we, um, as a family, have surrounded ourselves with, with people like yourselves, you know, who, who think, you know, big and they dream big, but they're willing to act big and put the actions behind that mindset. And it's, it's the day-to-day. It's the things you don't want to do that are very uncomfortable, and you do them often enough, then they become uh, a reality, and uh, they become – your dreams all of a sudden become true, you know, so. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because when you watch the documentaries on athletes a lot of times, or the 30 for 30 on ESPN, how they used to have it, or movies, you'd see like predominantly the success on the field or success on the mat, but you don't always see all the adversity. They might make mention of it. They might show a training scene here and there, but they don't show just all the time and the preparation that went into it. So a lot of kids, when they're younger, they look at it, they see the success. They don't see Correct. all dogged hard work and the sacrifice sure. and the discipline yeah yeah i mean a lot you know and then you you start to interview these guys and you know you they show start to show the vulnerability i remember you know hearing jordan burroughs on on the uh the cave talk uh, uh podcast and I, one of the real interesting things that i'm like um that gave me tremendous respect for him was not about his wins it's how he took his losses and how he handled his losses and you know everybody i always say you know you're gonna and i tell the boys that and I, I tell Marissa our daughter that you're going to get punched in the gut it's not that you get punched in the gut and you get knocked down it's how many times you get it punched in the gut kind of like Rocky and still you know come up standing and swinging so um, he he showed his vulnerability and uh, uh, he was able to kind of share with us the story after the the the, uh, uh, the 2016 Olympic Games and what happened on the cab ride home and, and, and just to kind of bring everybody up to speed. But the first time around is all the paparazzi and, and unbelievable waiting for him at the California in California to watch, I believe Los Angeles airport. And, uh, you know, got down to Jane Leno and got on to get some pretty much big time TV. And then the second time around, he's expected to win it, you know, ends up not, not doing well, not having his best tournament. And that just goes to sometimes you can put in your all and sometimes not get the results you're looking for. And he says, you know, he literally had to, you know, uh, nobody was at the airport. He ended up flying back to, I think, Omaha or something like that. And nobody was at the airport waiting for him with any signs. He actually had to get a cab ride home. And it just showed you, here's a great champion who really leads by example that everybody looks up to, who also got punched in the gut. And he was able to be resilient enough to still deal with it. And it humbled him. So everybody needs that. You know, you start to read your own. And I always talk to the boys about this, the importance of just read enough about your success, but put it away. Because if you start to read those, those headlines and those news stories, they give you this false confidence. 
and it brings you down. So I would say, you know, put that away until you get my age, and then you can kind of go back and brag a little bit, you know. That's it. <laughs> but uh, you got to put those articles away from time to time, and you have to persevere and not read your own print. And uh, uh, it's just not a matter of if, it's when it happens. The best of the best, sometimes, again, they put all the effort in, uh, they put all the work, uh, they put the sacrifices, and again, again, you just start to see these great champions, especially, you know, again, on the wrestling mat, and the sacrifices they have to make with their families, their jobs, their careers, you know, their money, their lifestyle, um, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, not staying in the most desirable hotels and, 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 and traveling to not the most desirable countries, and all the things that these guys do to just, again, win a medal that not, doesn't always give you fame and fortune. You know, but it gives you tremendous, um, I think it gives you a tremendous track to run on because, you know, it's like Dan Gable said, right? Another great quote from his is, you know, uh, once you wrestled, everything is easy, right? And uh, uh, so that's what it does. It builds that foundation. So. Absolutely. So many great points. Yes. Hit there. Uh, like you said, the vulnerability. I remember seeing Jordan Burrow speak at a camp and he said that his Freshman year of college, he had something like a 500 record, maybe a little bit more. It was a high school state champ in New Jersey. Sure. And his freshman year of college, he said, maybe I'm not cut out for college wrestling. So what yeah. about quitting? And how many athletes do we see that they, they think that, and then maybe they quit? You never know who could yeah. have been the next Jordan Burroughs if they would have Correct. kept going. Well, I, uh, I was going to share, you know, I like to kind of like, and I don't read books cover to cover. I think I my uh, ADHD kicks in, but I get the pretty much the – the, 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 the premise of just about every book I pick up and I read enough through it to kind of get the messaging. And um, there's a book called 212. And, uh, and it just talks, this is this really kind of speaks volumes of what you just talked about the importance of that extra one, one, 1% effort. Um, and just, you know, sometimes the greatest of the, the greatest of the greats were just about about to quit. And then all of a sudden, you know, something happened. And then that something happened, kind of what gave them that edge to really uh, find all their success. And, uh, and that was really what it comes down to. It's just that, just that one degree, that added effort, just about when you're about to quit, but you, you persevere anyway. And all of a sudden, you, you start to find yourself and you start to find your way. And then all of a sudden, you start to understand all those sacrifices, all those setbacks, all those heartaches. They, they all kind of, um, it all makes it worthwhile, you know, so. Absolutely. I never read the book, but Zeke Jones sent our team that video at the University of Pennsylvania. Got my mug here. And, Love he, it. and he sent that over to us that, you know, water boils at 212. 212, so yeah. That, that's right. So that was that was an excellent thing right there. And big shout out to Cave Talks over there. We'll, we'll drop a link in the YouTube yeah. notes so everyone could check that out. They're doing great things. Yeah, tell yeah, us it's, it's, yeah, go ahead. Tell me. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, tell us a little bit about um, you know, your background, how you grew up, how you sure. got into wrestling. Yeah. So, you know, my, um, so it really kind of all started, uh, you know, really with our dad. Uh, our dad was just a great man. And, uh, you know, I always uh, love to kind of talk about him because uh, I am who I am today because, of, you know, I think the upbringing that uh, we had uh, through the efforts of our mom and dad, um, my dad uh, wrestled, got the opportunity to wrestle two Olympic games. And growing up, I really didn't learn about that until I started wrestling myself. My older brother, Chuck, never wrestled. And um, uh, what was interesting is that uh, it just, um, uh, we left the, uh, the old country, as they would say, back in 1967. So I was just about a year and a half old. And um, 
and moved to the U.S. And my dad, you know, saw this land as an opportunity. Um, he had, uh, you know, I think visited as a young child and uh, um, knew this was the place to be, even though that, you know, Lebanon was, was good. The U.S. was just a little better uh, from the standpoint of giving people the opportunities and, and really the freedom that everybody so so often enjoys every day. So this is the greatest country on earth, not only according to my dad, but also according to me. And I always look forward to coming home. But my dad, um, my dad, uh, uh, you know, created a good life for us. Uh, we we're blue collar. He was a butcher by background, um, and uh, you know, we kind of grew up um, maybe scrapping in the backyard just. Just the, 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 my, myself and my two younger brothers. And uh, just like being mischievous boys, we started channeling that energy onto the wrestling mat. So when I was 10 and my brother uh, was nine and my younger brother Ralph was, was six, we all kind of started uh, with the Van Dyke Wrestling Club. And that was pretty much the start of our chapter, you know, the beginning of the first chapter. And um, I wasn't much of an athlete. My brother Sam was a much better athlete. So I decided to say, okay, let me give this wrestling a shot. My dad, we were kind of screwing around with my dad from time to time. And then, uh, you know, I, I had tremendous success right out of the gate. And, I, and, you know, obviously when you find something that you become good at, you, you, you become a little bit uh, more uh, inquisitive, like, hey, how good can I get, you know? And uh, I just stuck with it and persevered. And uh, eventually, you know, I, I, I landed a scholarship at the University of Michigan by winning a state championship at a pretty tough weight class. 145 pounds and what was interesting and by the time I got to Michigan I started putting on some size and I actually started I continued to grow so they recruited me to be the 150 pounder um, at Michigan and I ended up not being able I won my wrestle off as a true freshman against a pretty formidable opponent named Tony Latora but uh, I couldn't make that weight so I moved up to 158 and I kind of went back and forth with that starter but um, you know you, you talk about a setback but I I, I went there uh, and it was a difficult school and I don't think I was prepped uh, the way from my study habits that I, I, sh I should have been. And um, I had, uh, you know, I became academically ineligible um, even though I could have, you know, been in the starting lineup. So I, I kind of took a, a retro year and, a, and really kind of due to my own actions and say, I take full responsibility, but just goes to show you when you approach college, you gotta, you know, have uh, this, this, this life uh, balance between wrestling and academics has to be your priority. And I don't think I made it a priority. I just thought I could go there and I was wrestling really tough. I, I ended up 13 and five as a freshman, true freshman, which isn't a bad record and uh, could have made the lineup, but uh, you know, academics uh, pulled me back. And, and so I, I got my, uh, I got my act together. I had a, a good long, hard uh, talk with Steve Frazier, who just got done winning the Olympic gold medal. And, uh, you know, he, he really was a great mentor for me and, and a great workout partner for me. But I got to talk to him and the late, great Joe Wells from Oregon State, who also kind of let fire underneath my butt to kind of stay focused. And the deal that I had made with myself and with my coaches is that I won't miss class again. And I didn't. So despite meeting a girl who would eventually become my wife, I was, I was uh, literally very committed, and the big word's committed, to my academics. And... Um, I finished just under a three point, my college career with under, just under a three point. Uh, um, but the, the importance of that lesson was that as I began college and I started really kind of understanding the importance of, of goals, I wasn't really writing them down. So I started kind of really kind of defining what I wanted to do and really kind of my why back then, of, you know, I wanted to be a national champion. And, and I didn't know that if I had, you know, didn't know that uh, maybe had the natural raw talent to, to do that. Um, but I knew I had the work ethic. And so my goal was to outwork everybody. 
And uh, my coach, Dale Barr, would tell me, he said, the secret to success uh, was to work while everybody else was playing. And you don't want, uh, or, uh, you know, you don't want to be the three Ben brothers. He had it in his offices, you know, should have been, could have been, and would have been. So I didn't want to be any of those Bens. So I, I really did, you know, um, uh, put my actions uh, behind my goals. And uh, I had a really good run in college. I, uh, again, I was a, the senior captain. I was also a junior captain. I, I qualified for the NCAAs three years, um, uh, the four years that I was there. And, uh, you know, had a pretty good run. I had over 100 wins, uh, college wins. Uh, uh, I think it was like 116 or so uh, at Michigan. And, uh, you know, so those are all proud moments. I ended up in the NCAA finals. Um, and, uh, again, what's right. that? Unseated. Yeah, unseated. Yeah, unseated. So it just really kind of talks about the importance of mindset. There you go again. Uh, and the importance of belief. I, um, when I entered that tournament, I, I, I really felt invincible. I felt that nobody was tougher than Mark Chirella and Joe Wells and uh, Steve Frazier. And I was competing with those guys every day. And even Dale Barr on the map, he was tough as nails. And if I could, you know, roll around with those guys and, 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 and take them down and turn those guys, you know, there's nobody that I, I, you know, I couldn't really handle. And so I went in with the mindset, even though there's a lot of people that were doubting me, I didn't doubt me. And that's the most important thing. Never doubt yourself. Never have somebody tell you that you can't do something. Um, and that belief has been instilled in my boys time and time again, as well as our daughter time and time again. And really in my wife, we all kind of have that. There's nothing we can't do as long as it's important to us. There's nothing we can't accomplish. It might take us a little bit longer than usual, uh, but we will, if it's important enough, we're going to accomplish that goal. And um, so I had those lofty goals and then they continued um, after college. I started working out with Steve Frazier and training uh, for the, uh, the Olympics. And, and I kind of didn't know whether I wanted to kind of pursue freestyle or Greco, uh, but I had to be realistic. I mean, I had Kenny Monday and Dave Schultz at 163 pounds in freestyle. So, you know, as, as much as maybe I wanted it, I mean, that's pretty tall order when you got a world champion and eventual Olympic champion and then a defending Olympic champion at that weight. So um, it was pretty deep, but I actually enjoyed Greco-Roman. So I started training and I had a pretty good run. I ended up beating uh, Marty Morgan, or I'm sorry, Gordy Morgan, who was the Olympian um, right before the trials. Um, and then right, I'm sorry, yeah, at the, uh, I beat him at a tournament and, and at the National Open, I ended up fortunately losing to him. And then coming back between the National Open, I ended up fourth in the National Open, qualified for the World, world Team Trials. And while training for the World Team, I busted up my ribs and I ended up breaking the, the, my, uh, um, my ribs. And, and that was a long recovery. So unfortunately, long story short, I ended up getting into the uh, World Team Trials. I taped my ribs. It just, it wasn't the same. It wasn't 100%. And anybody could tell you, you know, with a really, really, bad knee or bad ribs, any sort of, you know, dislocated elbow and stuff. It's pretty tough for the sport of wrestling, no matter how bad you want it. So I fell short. I had to, you know, eventually come to grips because I had been married now for two years. Uh, my wife ended up getting pregnant, um, in 1992, um, uh, late 92 after the, uh, after the Olympic games. And, uh, my mom got sick at the same time, literally the same night. My mom got diagnosed with fourth stage cancer and we were pregnant with our first. So, you know, I, I, um, I need to kind of close that chapter and move on. And I accepted the fact that, Hey, I didn't accomplish my Olympic dreams. Um, but it was time for me to take that energy and take that focus and put it into my family, put it in supporting my mom. My mom lived about another nine months after her diagnosis and unfortunately she passed away in 1993 
and then our daughter was born a month later. So the, uh, the joy in my world uh, really kind of occurred uh, right after having to deal with a devastating death of a young mom who was 58 years old. And um, so I, uh, I look at that and I look at that adversity and I look at that experience and um, I'm better for it. I, I really am. I, I think the resiliency and, um, and the ability to kind of sometimes take a major setback like losing a mother and, uh, and, and something that would really break your heart and be able to use that to kind of help mold you. So I always you know, tell people, I said, sometimes we're just, we're molded by the scars. We're molded by the setbacks. And, you know, um, uh, sometimes we got to take those experiences and not look at them as negative as, as looking at them as just part of life experiences. It's not something, of course, I would want and want anybody to ever have to go through. But I looked at that and uh, some of those scars um, and, and, and setbacks and heartaches kind of helped mold me. So from, from there on in 1993, you know, I, I you know, pretty much put everything into my family and in my business and raising our kids and um, got to a point to where, you know, I, I, I think it was important to have a parent at home. So we decided my wife would go on and, uh, and uh, be a, a stay-at-home mom while pursuing her MBA in which she, uh, I encouraged her to do. And, and uh, so I'd come home a couple nights a week and, and she'd go to school and uh, we made it work. And then, you know, lo and behold, I, I started thinking about, you know, getting our kids involved in sports. So our kids pretty much played just about every sport. Um, I, I have to tell a funny story, but we got them involved with soccer and, and, and the grittiest, I think, and toughest kid we had was, was our first, which her name is Marissa. She's 27 today. But she would, if she would have wrestled, I think she would have been a phenom. I think she's the best athlete in the family, uh, pound for pound, and she's living out in Chicago. But our, our, our boys picked up uh, fencing. And uh, you can only imagine Mal Malik and Miles and, and maybe their personalities, but um, it's the only sport that we, we, we took them to. And, and the coach uh, took my wife to the side and said, hey, don't bring your boys back. So they got kicked out of fencing and you couldn't, because Lord of the Rings was really popular during that time. And uh, they thought they were gonna, they thought they were kind of like on a set of Lord of the Rings and they probably um, should have followed some of the rules, but they decided not to follow. So, so they end up not pursuing fencing, but they pursued football, they pursued soccer. And um, I remember Mark Torella telling me that's important to you know, make sure your kids really enjoy sport and don't worry about wrestling. Don't worry about getting them into it real early on. I know some guys, you know, like John Smith can start at five and become a world champ, become one of the best ever, but that doesn't always hold true for everybody. So I always kind of, my advice to people is make sure your kids are really good athletes. And that's kind of the advice Mark Torella gave me and make sure that you just positive reinforcement, positive reinforcement, positive reinforcement. So um, kids stayed uh, pretty athletic, including our daughter. She played um, travel soccer in her senior year of high school. And uh, obviously the boys started wrestling about the same age, about 10, 10, 11 years old, they started taking a little bit more serious in the club wrestling, which I coached. And uh, my brother, Sam, helped out. But um, we, uh, we had a pretty good run uh, with, with youth wrestling, um, you know. And, uh, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, you were expecting Malik and Miles to go out there and win, you know, multiple national championships or win, uh, you know, um, any of the, uh, the, the big tournaments out there, which are like Tulsa or anything like that. They didn't. And, but they were good wrestlers and they liked it and they loved the sport. So it was really between wrestling and football and even basketball, they liked playing. And I said, well, look at me, this is what you have to look forward to. You're not going to be 270 and 6'3". So football is going to be a tall order. And unfortunately, as good as you, know, you are on the basketball, 
basketball court. When it comes to that, you, you probably need a little more height and kind of need a little bit more skill set. But at some point, if you want to compete in college in any of these sports, and that's kind of conversation I had with both of them, you know, um, you got to you got to kind of see where you know where, where what you're going to be really good at and what you're going to be very competitive. So they both decided on their own without me forcing it um, that they were going to wrestle. And uh, what's interesting is Malik was a little over 500 wrestler as an eighth grader. He was fourth in the state, uh, kid state. And so he wasn't even a state champ, but he lit it up freshman year. He went on and he became all state to fifth in the state, ranked number two, um, pretty much the second half of the season and at 112 pounds. And then, you know, Miles was really right behind him as an eighth grader. And then, you know, the rest is history. They, they, uh, Miles, I think Malik was in the finals three times. Um, he was a finalist and a state champ and a state champ, nationally ranked, did pretty good in some national tournaments. Uh, Miles followed suit by becoming a uh, third, as a, I think, sophomore, a two-time state champ, and then got both those guys got recruited uh, to a lot of D1 colleges. Uh, we did take some visits to various colleges, and, um, you know, they both pretty much had settled on Michigan because I think they uh, got to uh, um, have a great recruiting trip there. Uh, again, without me forcing their hand, they had a great experience on campus. Um, you know, they had both one, Malik had visited Ohio State um, and has tremendous respect for Coach Ryan and what he's done, but I think it was a little too far from home. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's kind of more of a homebody. Miles was, was less of a homebody, but really kind of wanted to evaluate his options. But we went out to Arizona State, we went out to Rutgers, all great programs, all great people, great guys and coaches. We went out to Purdue, Indiana, Northwestern. So he took like four or five recruiting trips. And then again, he um, decided on Michigan. And, he's, and I wanted to make sure that he wasn't going there because of me or because of his brother. And I think that had something to do with it without him coming out and saying it. I think that hit, hit, legacy was important, but um, I don't think it was the only factor. But he made his own decision to land there. And then, um, you know, they, they, they had a really good run. And, and uh, I look at the, those experiences. Uh, not only for them, but their community. And, and when I say, when you walk out there, you're not just wrestling for yourself. I know that you, you ultimately determine the result, but you know, you're, you're carrying your family name, you're carrying the, the, the university, all your, all the fans, and you're pretty much your entire community, your high school, you know, that's, that's what, that's what you're, when you, what you're carrying out there. So you got to make sure you conduct yourself, you know, the way you should conduct yourself with, you know, with respect and, and respecting your opponents, not fearing them, but definitely respecting your opponents. Um, I don't like the antics. I just say, if you lose, you don't, it's okay to hate to lose. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with hating losing more than you like winning, but get it out, you know, walk out. If you have to walk outside and get out of the arena, get out of the arena, get out of there, you know, and, uh, but don't go out there and, and really kind of, again, um, because you're representing your family and your community, you know, you gotta, you gotta be professional about it. And um, a lot of people will point to a lot of guys who didn't handle that right. And you don't want to be one of those guys, you know. And uh, so, um, you know, it's, it's just we've had such a great experience. And, again, you know, I haven't been able to witness a national championship, you know, with, with Miles coming close. And then, you know, um, and Malik wanting to be an All-American and him not achieving his goals. But I wouldn't change the experiences for any of those things because the experiences that as parents that we've had and, the, and how proud we are, of both the boys is, is, is tremendous. That's great. So many good points there. And like how you said, the balance between you could do anything, but at the same time having a reasonable assessment of what sport they were gonna do. So it's both of those 
Like some people yeah. are overly realistic and well, you know, just that, that whole, that whole thing. And then the other people are just maybe too much like, Hey, you could do anything without yeah. sizing it up. You need to have that balance. I think that's important. Yeah. I think also, you have to have, oh, yeah, yeah. go ahead. No, I think you have to have realistic expectations. I mean, yeah. you really do of yourself and, and really set goals to, you know, that uh, are going to challenge you like no tomorrow, right. but are not going to disappoint you because maybe you just don't have the time nor the resources, um, nor maybe the energy to, to really determine that this is the why, why you're doing it, you know? And, um, and it is, uh, it's difficult because we, we set these expectations for a lot of these freshmen coming in to do the X, Y, and Z. And, and as again, I just go back to my own story. Hey, you're, you can be there, you can go there to be a, a good wrestler and that may turn out the first semester or two and then you get thrown out of school. What good has that done anybody? So it's, it's you know, a lot of these uh, kids, unfortunately, are not set the right expectations of what, you know, this, this work-life balance of what you have to do um, to get prepared for college. And then working with you guys and the importance of being able to manage the schedule, manage your mindset. So when you're wrestling, you're wrestling. But when you're not wrestling, you should be turning that off and turning on your academics. And then the same thing with your social life. Hey, you don't constantly talk about wrestling in your social life. You got to kind of find a way to separate that. And um, I always talk to people about that, the importance of shutting it off. And it's hard to do. If you're at work, you're working. When you're not at work, don't work. Try not to work. You know, with your family, spend time with your family and enjoy that. You're out with your friends and you're trying to be social. Great. Don't talk about wrestling or work. So it, and it really does kind of changing in the mindset's really important and on how you approach those things. Absolutely. And a lot of, there's a lot of different balancing acts like that. Like another, another point that you mentioned earlier was that, Hey, you don't want to get involved in your own hype. We always tell the athletes, if you get the newspaper articles, put them in a shoe box, don't look at it till after the season. So you're not getting caught at that moment. And, but then at the same time, you're also representing a lot of people too. So it's like one of the things we tell the athletes before they go out there is don't think about all the people they're representing. But at the same time, like you said, there's that balance because when it comes to how you conduct yourself, you have to remember it's more than just you out there. So Correct. you don't want to have all that extra weight on your back, the pressure, like I, I don't Correct. want to let all these people down. But at the same time, you still need to be aware it's not just you. You're wearing a team, but you have a family name, all that. Yeah. And, th and that's what I, I want to make sure that that message isn't misconstrued about, hey, I, the one thing, again, Kyle Dake uh, says, hey, you can't measure pressure. Pressure is something that we put on ourselves, but it can't really be measured. And the one thing that I just want to make sure that uh, people understand, just, be, you know, you understand you're wrestling for your family and stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still just the sport. You know, at the end of the day, it's something that it is not who we are, it's something that we do. And yes, we want to be really good at it because we put a lot of time and energy and purpose into it. Um, and but we don't want to create we don't want to walk out there on pins and needles. we got to stay relaxed. And some of the things I've kind of been I've learned along the way of the, the, the do's and don'ts is, uh, you know, our jobs as parents and coaches is to make uh, our, our sons and daughters, making sure that they feel relaxed, that they're not walking out there, that they actually having a good time when they're out there, that, hey, a lot of the work's already been done. Now you just got to go showcase it. And if you lose, you lose. You know, of course, nobody wants to see you lose. I'm sure you don't want to, you know, you know, see you lose. But at the end of the day, if it happens, it happens. If you gave 100% effort, because you can't give more than 100%. I know that, that people say 110. You can give 100% effort. If you give 100% of yourself, and the outcome is the outcome, then that's it. You got to leave it at that. You know, sometimes it's just not your day. Uh, maybe it's a bad call. 
maybe, you know, hey, uh, it was a misstep. Maybe it's just, again, you made a mistake that, that, that you know, that unfortunately cost you the match. But you got to leave at that. You got to leave it at that. I don't want people to kind of think that you have to walk out there because you're wrestling for your family, because you're wrestling for your team or your community. Don't feel, do not take the weight of the world on your shoulders out on the wrestling mat, you know, so. That makes, makes a lot of sense. Now talk about also that you were able to make the transition then from sports to business. Now there's a lot yeah. of people who are very successful in sports that don't transfer it over. Why do you think that is? What do you think separates those people? Well, because I think what, what, what they were probably taught and what they learned through sports, they were not able to apply it. And, and that's a, the unfortunate thing that I've seen with a lot of wrestlers that I would have assumed um, that once they had this national championship under their belt, that they were going to be super successful no matter what they pursued, just because they were going to throw that same mindset into um, their careers and into their families. And unfortunately for a few of them, it's just been a disaster. I say more so than not, wrestlers make the best employees in the world. They make the best leaders in the world. And I might be a little biased, but you just don't have to take my word for it. You just ask Forbes magazine, Forbes magazine, you ask a couple of major publications, and there's articles just written about the mindset of wrestlers. And the beauty of it is now we just got this woman contingent that's also growing. So, you know, men or women, we're going to have phenomenal leaders um, and just phenomenal citizens that are coming from the sport of wrestling. So that being said, we can't take it for granted. We got to learn the importance and the values and character that we learn on the wrestling mat and in the practice room. And we got to apply that. And if you apply it to the business world, and I, and I learned this from Mark Torelli, you know, kind of asking, what's your secret to success? Because everything that I learned on the mat, I just apply to the business world and the results are the results. And he's had phenomenal results, um, obviously, in his, his business venture. So I kind of looked at, you know, obviously leaders, uh, great leaders and great mentors of mine, and I kind of say, well, what were they, what were they doing? How do they apply it? And um, so I take the approach as you have to have, you know, a, an incredible amount of discipline. You have to outwork, you know, your competitors. I may not have the talent of my competitors. I may not have, you know, the Harvard MBA uh, that, I, that some of my competitors have. But I know that I can do one thing. And, and this is, you know, going back to mindset. I, I know I can outwork them. And over time, I'm going to learn from some of the mistakes. And then over time, I'm going to learn a lot about myself. And yes, along the way, um, I'm going to learn some things and I'm going to educate. And that knowledge is going to be power. And at some point, I'm going to set the bar, you know, so high, it's going to challenge me. Um, but if it's something that's important to me, and, and why can't I do it? Why can't I be the best? So I've had a lot of, uh, you know, fortunately, and, and I'll call it a little bit of a luck, but I think I prepared for that luck. But, you know, over the years, I've surrounded myself with really good people. I've always had a really good management team um, around me. And, uh, and again, the whole uh, opinion, uh, the whole idea of, of good to great and make sure that, you know, you surround yourself with people, get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus. The people who have poor attitudes, who have poor ethics, get rid of them. Take them out of your organization, take them off your team. I don't care how many Fargo championships they won. Um, they can destroy the culture. They can destroy your team. So culture is really important to me. And having people who have a positive outlook, who are just good, good people with good character and good values is important to any organization, despite the talents that they may bring to the table. That's important, but we don't can't just recruit to talent. We've got to do more than that. So my approach has always been, you know, obviously work really hard. Um, uh, you got to be disciplined. You have to be well organized. You have to over communicate. Uh, over-communicate your vision, over-communicate your value, 
and over communicate you know the importance of how we communicate with each other so we set the right expectations this is what i'm going to do and this is what you're going to do and we're going to talk about it you know on an ongoing basis so that we all always won't know where we stand you know the importance of of uh, clearly defined roles and responsibility the importance of goals uh, for any organization even for a family and for, for a team is always relevant you got to write it down you know people have to commit to it it's got to be in writing um, it can't just be verbalized but then you also have to you know this thing about accountability you know you have to hold yourself accountable as a leader I'm always holding myself accountable and I'm making myself vulnerable that hey I don't have it right you know 100% of the time I'm making mistakes every day and I'm failing forward you know, but at the end of at the end of the day, it's important that it's clearly defined, and that the that the the, the goals and objectives for the organization for yourself are, are clearly written and clearly understood, so that there's no not there's nothing to guess. So in doing that, you know, I've had a, a pretty good run. We were the national firm of the year for MetLife, you know, Fortune 35 company, and we did it in a time to where it was the worst, pretty much the uh, we had the worst economy in the country, being Michigan. And it was 2008 and we we're the national firm of the year when everybody again was running to the hills and and putting their head on the desk because of the stock market and because of what was happening in the financial services industry um you know we we, we went to work and we were recruiting uh, more people than most of the country we were developing more people and then we saw people in motion and money in motion that was following them so I looked at that as, a, 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 you know, unfortunately, a setback became an opportunity for somebody like me and, and my leadership team. So um, I just continue to build on that year after year. And, uh, you know, in 2016, I took the leap of faith um, after MetLife decided to shut its doors to uh, distribution. And I started Wall Strategies Financial Group. Um, and, um, um, you know, we've been at it about four, four and a half years. Last year, we became a gold standard, um, winning the International Gamma Gold Award. Uh, which really sets us apart um, from a firm standpoint around the world. And, um, and we're going to continue, and again, not to read that print and continue to build on it. But in every category, we were up double digits. And um, this year, we had some setbacks during COVID uh, in March and April, uh, but we recovered. And, you know, we went from being down 27%. Now we're up like, um, I think, 14% as of last week. So to me, that's a good recovery. And we're, we're, we're um, just uh, trying to become better every day, 1% better every day. So, um, you know, the, the old adage of iron sharpens iron and make sure you surround your people with, uh, you know, with, with um, surround yourself with people who are better than you. I kind of try to live by that, those rules and just find something that, you know, I know the areas I'm, I'm good at. I know the areas that I struggle with, but I make sure that in, within the organization, I have somebody who complements that. So case in point, how do you relate this back to, you know, coaching? You know, so if I know I'm a really good recruiter and a good organizer, then I may need to find a really good technician or somebody that can really kind of relate to the day-to-day -to -day, uh, life of, of the wrestlers that are on your team. So that's why I think when you start to look at your coaching staff, you do not want to recruit people who are exactly like you because a lot of unfortunate thing, bad things can happen. So the importance of just having a well-balanced coaching staff um, and, and really kind of define well, what are you trying to accomplish here you know, what's the vision? What's the goal? It should be shared. And, and I've challenged, you know, Sean Bormat with that and just making sure that everybody understands what's the vision is, what the objectives are for the team so that we want to be on that same bus, because obviously it takes a whole community to win a national championship and no better, you know, understood than Penn State. 
um, and what they've been able to do. It's been great for the sport. As much as I know they're a competitor, they're really an ally at the same time because they're good for our sport to show, hey, yes, like Iowa, they can dominate as well, and they have a different approach than Iowa. So they ultimately get the same result, but they may have a different approach. And there's not just one size fits all when it comes to running a company or one, running a, a successful team. So I look at that and, and, and I see what Cale Sanderson and his, he's got a phenomenal coaching staff. It's not just Cale that's responsible for all that success. Uh, you know, his coaching staff is, is really second to none and they do a, a lot of different things well. And then combined with those combined efforts, you know, what have they won? Like eight of the last nine championships or seven out of the last nine championships. That's pretty dominant. And so obviously you want to take note of what they're doing, uh, not only with their practice and their recruiting, but also in development. And, and I know some coaches will challenge, well, they got a huge budget. Well, you know what? You don't always have to have a huge budget to create a winning team. You know, you still have to create the culture. You still have to create, you know, good roles and responsibility and expectations for the coaching staff so that everybody can kind of row in the same direction. So. Absolutely. Oh, so much great stuff. But yeah, like you said, having that personal accountability, Surround yourself with great people. Those mindset qualities of a champion. Perspective. You roll them all together. You get Mike Amin. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, great stuff. Awesome, awesome. I appreciate having you, Mike. Yeah, Thank it's you. great Thank to you. be. It's great to to be you know, again with you guys and really kind of just sharing, uh, you know, the things that I felt like have have been you know um, instrumental to 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 really kind of molding me as a man, as a father, as a coach and everything in between and as a leader. So I want to continue to do that. And guess who I just have walking in right now. So I, uh, I Malik is just popping in. He's coming back, but hey, he went up, from G? working out. What's going on? How you doing? Yeah. Good. Good. You looking good. Know, you guys doing the call? Yeah. yeah. Podcast? yeah. We're just finishing yeah, so up. We'll be wrapping up. So, hey, I'll awesome. get with you. Um, I'll meet you uh, back at your uh, desk. Good. Okay. Uh, All right. But uh, anyways, but yeah. So yeah, Mal finished up practice, and then uh, he 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 now comes into here. He's got one more license that he has to obtain. Um, he's got a series seven, and he's now finishing up to get a series sixty six. So we're proud of him because he's got yeah. that uh, work life balance, and uh, um, he's got a goal for for work as well, not just on the wrestling mat. So, um, but again, I really appreciate um, you, both you and your brothers, and uh, just what you've done for the sport, and uh, still trying to obviously get your, get your name out there with multiple companies, including ours, because, you know, the things you guys are teaching, again, um, they're few and far between. I know a lot of people talk about it. You guys walk the walk. So I, um, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. I'm a big avid uh, user of LinkedIn and I, and I, and I read all your posts and when possible share your posts and just keep doing what you guys are doing. Cause it's, it's fantastic for our sport. It's fantastic for our nation. So. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you for all you do. Great stuff. Yeah. Thank you for joining yeah. us today again. Honored. You guys right. take care. Take care. Yep. God bless. Bye-bye. And that is a wrap from today's podcast. I'm Gene Zanetti from Winning Mindset. Make sure you guys go to our website. Make sure you go to zwinningmindset.com. Make sure you buy the book. The ebook is great. Excellent information. Represents some of the great information that we've learned from top athletes, working with some of the top teams and individuals all across the country. Go to our website, zwinningmindset.com. Make sure you get the ebook. Also, make sure as an individual, you sign up for the one-on-one free trial consultation. That's the one-on-one free trial consultation with one of our mindset coaches. The best results always come from one-on-one attention. 
whether it's strength training, whether it's technique, or whether it's mindset. One-on-one is always the best. Thanks for staying with, with us. Make sure you join us next time for the next episode. Mindset makes the difference. Have a great day. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.